Well, good morning. It's nice to finally get some nice summer weather in the last couple of days. Uh, been enjoying that. And we are hopefully going to enjoy also another dive into the Gospel of Mark this morning. Uh, when I was a young man in my early 20s, I uh, took a mission trip. And I came back from this mission trip uh, overseas, and shortly after I came back, I developed this really severe rash that um, kind of was all over my body and very itchy and uncomfortable. Lasted for about five months, during which that time I got very little sleep. It was really a very uh, uncomfortable time. And I went to the doctor numerous times, numerous times, and he couldn't really help me. He prescribed numerous medications and lotions and creams. Some of them were quite expensive. I remember I think one was somewhere around 100 bucks a tube, which, you know, back in the day was a lot of money for medication, right? But nothing was happening. Nothing was happening. And eventually, I, uh, I asked for healing prayer, and I made an arrangement to have uh, some men, some leaders, come and anoint me with oil and pray for me. And I wasn't healed as a result of that prayer meeting either. But the next appointment I had, the very next appointment I had, was with another specialist that I hadn't seen before. And I went into his office, and within about five minutes, he just simply said to me, you have scabies. And he gave me a $15 tub of lotion, and it was gone within a week. Because finally he got to the root of the problem. Finally, thankfully, <laughs> got to the root of the problem. Now, in our journey through the book of Mark that we've been going on in the last number of weeks, uh, we've encountered a number of healing stories already, where Jesus has healed someone, freed someone, released someone, shown his power and compassion. But in today's story, which is actually the final healing story in this particular section in Mark, in this sort of string of healing stories, it's the final one. And in this story, Jesus is going to take us deeper. He is going to take us to the root issue. What is really going on in these healing stories? Now, the story so far is that Jesus has been going, you know, from town to town, preaching that the kingdom of God is here. And he's been announcing that. The arrival of the kingdom has come. And how do we know that Jesus' announcement is true? It's because he's demonstrating it. He's casting out the, demon, the demonic agents of darkness, the demons. He's healing the sick, which we'll discuss more in a moment. He's restoring the outcasts, like the leper, the man who had leprosy, which not only was a disease, but it actually excluded you from religious participation in the temple. And so this man was excluded from the full worship of God because of his leprosy. Well, Jesus restores that. So he can once again come before God without shame. Right? And so Jesus is doing these things and, and, and showing his compassion, and they certainly are acts of compassion and love for people. But they are more than just acts of compassion. They are also demonstrations of the arrival of the kingdom of God. And word is leaking out through the neighborhoods, through the area of Galilee, that there is this healer. And crowds are growing, and nobody is quite sure what to make of this prophet, rabbi, healer guy. And one of the questions that runs through the early Gospels, including the Gospel of Mark, is, who is this man? 
and nobody's quite sure what to make of him. And Jesus himself at this point is being kind of cryptic about who he is. He's not, and Jesus doesn't just come, hey, hey, I'm Jesus, I'm the Son of God, nice to meet you. That's not what he's doing. Right? So people are wondering who is this man that has such authority and does such miracles and wonders. And Jesus has been going around the area. So in this story, Jesus comes back to Capernaum where he's been before. This was the town where he had done all those miracles and everybody was looking for him. And he said, no, we're going to go somewhere else to proclaim the kingdom of God, if you think a couple stories back. Now he comes back to Capernaum. And we pick up the story here in Mark chapter 2. And this is what we read. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. And they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. And some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat with the man lying on it. Man, you got to love these guys. Right? you got to love their faith and their resolve and their boldness. Right? They bring this man, their, their friend who's paralyzed, they bring him, they carry him on a mat to Jesus. And, and I don't know if, if, if it's you know, bold faith or desperation, because you know, Jesus had been through Capernaum before and this man hadn't been healed. Right? Hadn't made, probably hadn't had an opportunity. And so there, there's no way this guy's not going to get healed this time. So when they can't get to him because there's such a crowd around the house, they come up with this clever plan to go up onto the roof of the house and dig their way through the roof, uh, causing some damage and commotion, I'm sure, and lower this man down in front of Jesus. Kind of rude to butt to the front of the line, but they're going to get their friend healed. And you got to love these guys' resolve. you got to love these guys' faith and their boldness in doing this. And so they do this. They lower this man down uh, in front of Jesus. Uh, what a testament to the, the great faith of these men and their love for their friend. You know, think if anybody deserves to hear Jesus say, brother, you have great faith. Rise up and walk. It's this guy, right? So what happens? Well, we pick up the story. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. You ever wonder what went through the mind of that man at that particular moment? I, I sometimes wonder. I wondered if, if he, his response was, What? My, my sins, my sins are forgiven. How is that going to help me? I'm lying here paralyzed. My sins are forgiven. What kind of a response is that? Now, now Mark doesn't focus on this guy's response, so I'm speculating here. Mark focuses on the response of the Pharisees who are watching this. He says, now some teachers of the law uh, were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. No one can forgive sins but God alone. See, this is the first time in Mark that Jesus has explicitly claimed any sort of divine authority. Right? Now, he's been doing things by the power of God, healing, casting out demons, and that kind of thing. But to claim to be able to do something that only God himself has the authority to do. Right? And one of the things you've got to love about Jesus and appreciate about Jesus is he loved to mess with people's assumptions and their preconceptions. Um, and he just loved to mess with people's 
idea, ideas of what he should be and what he should do. You know, it's one thing to claim to be on a God-authorized mission, let's say like a prophet or something like that. It's totally another thing to claim to have God's authority. And so these teachers of the law, they're thinking, who does this guy think he is to make such an outrageous claim as to be able to forgive sins? Nobody can forgive sins but God. A man of God would know this. man of God would know this. This is not a man of God. This is a heretic. This is a false prophet. And Jesus' response doesn't help things. Mark says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts. And so he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Now that's a trick question. How do you answer that question? Which is easier, to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or rise up and walk? Well, it depends on how you understand the question. I mean, you, you, on one hand, it's, it's easier. You might say it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because how do you prove whether that's true or not? You, how do you disprove that? If I were to say to you, your sins are forgiven, how do you prove that I'm wrong? Right? So I, I could say, your sins are forgiven, Nobody knows if I told the truth or not told the truth. There's no real sort of way to test that. Right? At the same time, it would be actually harder to say because, as I said before, the only person who has the authority to forgive sins would be God. And the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were correct in saying no one can forgive sins but God. So it actually is maybe easier to say your sins are forgiven, but harder to do. On the other hand, it's you could argue that it's harder or at least riskier to say rise up and walk because what if I say to you, rise up and walk, and you don't? Well, then I'm exposed. Right? But at the same time, in the ultimate sense, it's easier to heal than it is to forgive. I mean, lots of prophets, lots of figures in the Bible performed healing miracles by the power of God. Lots of prophets healed people. But the prophets did not have the authority to forgive. Right. So this is a, a tough question. Well, then Jesus continues. He says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, what is it that Mark and Jesus wants us to understand about Jesus in this encounter? And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that although this is a healing story, it's a story about a healing, it's not really about healing. It has a healing in it, but it's not really about healing. It's about what the healing means. And I said, Jesus is going to take us deeper in this encounter. Now, first of all, we do need to back up a little bit, and we need to think a little bit about uh, what is the connection between sin, sickness, healing, and forgiveness. So we're going to go on a bit of a rabbit trail here for a few minutes uh, and talk about what is this connection. 
between sin and sickness, healing and forgiveness. And, and as an aside, I'm going to suggest that there's actually a broader application even beyond uh, physical sickness. I mean, this story focuses on a physical disability, so that's kind of where we're going to focus. But I think this, even this is illustrative of a larger principle that applies to all kinds of different brokenness and struggles and pain that we experience. Uh, what is illustrated by this man's paralysis is, uh, is illustrative of all kinds of different brokenness, whether it be emotional brokenness, mental brokenness, relational brokenness, circumstances, pain, grief, dysfunctions of all sorts. The, the principles in many ways are very transferable. So we're going to focus on sickness, but I think there are other things that also kind of come under the umbrella of what Jesus is teaching here, other forms of brokenness. So what can we say about sickness and brokenness in the world? Well, from a biblical perspective, what we can say is that sin and si- or sorry, sickness is in the world because sin is in the world. Right? Sickness is one of the consequences or one of the manifestations of sin. Sometimes the, this is talked about, the term that's used is sin and sin's effects. So if you want to sound really theologically smart, you sin and sin's effects. Right? So you have sin and then what sin does, the brokenness, the grief, the sickness, the pain that it causes. And so sickness is in the world because sin is in the world. Now, we have to be careful about this. Because this does not mean that every specific sickness has a specific sin attached to it. As in, you're sick because you sinned. Okay? That is not necessarily the case. There may be cases where sickness may be caused by sin. Either as a natural direct consequence of a really stupid decision that we made or possibly even as a disciplinary action of God. And we have examples in the Bible, in Acts chapter 10, Herod, Acts chapter 12, sorry. Herod is struck down with a disease because of his arrogance, because he accepts worship rather than giving glory to God. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul talks about how people, some of the people in the church have gotten sick and even died because of their um, very sloppy treatment of communion, because they are not honoring communion properly. I'd like to go to that church. Uh, but, but Paul suggests that some of the sickness in, in, in Corinth is because they're not honoring the Lord's table. James 5 associates sin with sickness and forgiveness with healing. He says, the prayer offered in faith will make a sick person well, and God will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Right? So the Bible certainly draws a connection between sin and sickness. On the other hand... Sickness is not necessarily a direct consequence of specific sin or sins. We have examples of that. John 9, uh, Jesus and his disciples encounter a man born blind, and the disciples' question is, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus' answer is neither. Neither. This, is not, this blindness is not caused by a, this is not punishment for some sin. Now, he is actually, God's going to show his glory in this situation. Uh, This is the mistake, the error of Job's friends, if you're familiar with the story of Job. Job's friends are convinced that Job's suffering and Job's pain and grief are because he has done something wrong. But in fact, that is not the case. Job's faith is being tested. Job is not being punished because of a sin. So we do have to be careful. Now, reading between the lines of Mark 2, we might infer that this particular man's sickness was a result of a sin, but the Bible doesn't explicitly say that, so even here we do have to be very cautious in coming to that conclusion. Right? So we must be very careful about making a one-to-one connection between sin and sickness. However, in a general sense, 
Sickness is in the world because sin is in the world. So sickness, broken, pain, struggle, grief are in the world because we are broken people living in a broken world. And nevertheless, though, sin, or sorry, sickness, not sin, sickness, hardship, brokenness, pain, are not the ultimate problem. But they are symptoms of the deeper problem of sin. And that's why I'm asking this very tricky question that Jesus asked. Is it, is it harder to say your sins are forgiven, or is it harder to, see, or harder to say get up and walk? Jesus is not just asking a question to trick the Pharisees and to stump the, the, the teachers of the law. He's exposing a, a more critical issue. Uh, and that is, what is this man's most critical need? Is it healing, or is it forgiveness? What is the real root issue that needs to be solved? You see, healing this man's paralysis is not going to necessarily solve his guilt problem. But if you can solve his guilt problem, you can solve his paralysis problem. And so Jesus heals this man not to demonstrate his power over sickness or even his compassion, although both those things are true. But in this case, as Jesus himself explicitly states, he heals this man to demonstrate that he has the authority to forgive sins. So that you will know that I can forgive sins. He heals this man. You see, Jesus' mission is not just to free us from the symptoms, our present troubles, but to solve the root problem, which is our sin. He's not just here to solve our problems, improve our conditions, make us happier. He's not just here to... You might say, help us drive to hell in a nicer car. That's not why he is here. He has come to deal with the ultimate dysfunction at the root of all our suffering, which is our sin. Now, the bonus is that in defeating sin, Jesus also defeats the effects of sin. When he defeats sin, he defeats also the damage that sin causes. Now, again, we have to be careful here. Because even though in this particular story, Jesus heals the man instantly, heals and forgives him at the same time, uh, the forgiveness of sins does not necessarily guarantee instant healing. Uh, not everyone is healed instantly right, upon the forgiveness of sins. It happens, but that's not always the case. And we know of cases, for example, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about a thorn in his flesh, this, this malady that seems to afflict him. He never says what it is, and we never really know what it is, but a very plausible explanation, which a lot of people think, is that Paul had some sort of physical malady, a, a sickness, a weakness, an illness, a, a something that, even though he had prayed multiple times for God to take it away, God had said, no, my grace is enough, just keep going in your weakness. I'll hold you up. Right? And so it seems in this case that whatever it was that Paul struggled, God says, no, I'm not going to heal it. I'm just going to give you the grace to live with it. In 1 Timothy 5, 23, which is kind of one of these little throwaway verses that we just kind of um, throw away without talking much about it, Paul tells Timothy to drink a little wine for the sake of his stomach. Right? Very kind of an odd little comment that he just kind of throws in his closing comments to Timothy. But it seems to be the case that Timothy is suffering from some kind of a stomach ailment, some kind of a, an illness or an unease. We don't know, again, what it was. But it's, it's kind of telling that Paul isn't particularly concerned about this. He doesn't tell Timothy, you've got to go for healing prayer. He doesn't say to Timothy, why haven't you forget, for, um, confessed your sins and been healed? He doesn't go into any of that. He just says, you know what, a little wine will probably help settle your stomach. 
He just gives him some practical advice and sort of how to deal with it. He's not particularly bothered by the fact that Timothy has not been supernaturally healed at this point in his life. He's not particularly bothered by that. Um, so there is healing in the forgiveness of sins, but that healing is not necessarily instantaneous. I actually really appreciate the um, Evangelical Missionary Church of Canada, which is actually the denomination that I'm ordained with. I actually appreciate their particular doctrinal statement on this particular question. I'm just going to read it for you. It's, and it's a, it's a denomination not that far removed from the Alliance. They are very, in many ways very, very similar denominations in their, in their doctrinal positions. This is what the EMCC states on the question of healing. It says this, God is able to heal, therefore we ought to pray for the sick. Although healing cannot be demanded of God, it should be sought according to scriptural instruction. God heals in three ways. Through the natural processes of the human body, which may be aided by medical help. Through the supernatural intervention of God, bringing healing to the body. And through the death and resurrection of the body to a glorified state. See, one day, we will be healed. Completely. Absolutely. My mom is in a wheelchair. She was paralyzed in an auto accident when I was 16. So she spent now almost four decades in a wheelchair. Despite numerous prayers for healing and, uh, and all these kinds of things, uh, she has not been healed. And I mean, God could heal her today. God, I, I could get a phone call when I get home this afternoon and saying, hey, guess what? Your mom's been healed. I mean, that could happen. Right? That could happen. That would be wonderful if it happened. But it's seeming like God has chosen not to heal her. But there's a day, I am absolutely convinced of this, when she crosses into eternity and she meets her Savior, she will not be sitting in that chair anymore. She will be standing and walking and running and leaping for joy. There will be no wheelchairs in heaven except maybe as monuments to the wonder of God. She will be healed. It's just a matter of when. Why? Because Jesus has conquered sin. And because he's conquered sin, he's conquered death, he's conquered sickness, he's conquered brokenness, he's conquered all of those effects of sin. My mom will walk again because she belongs to Jesus. So where does this leave us? Well, you'll notice in the story the reactions here to, uh, to Jesus' statement range from outrage from the teachers of the law to amazement at what Jesus has done. It draws some people to Jesus and it pushes some people away from Jesus. Because this, again, is a claim that will either compel you or it will offend you. And let me just draw a couple of conclusions here, a couple of applications. First of all, we must recognize that in order to be forgiven, we must admit that we need forgiving. Now there's a bit of a twist here in this story when we compare it to our modern times. When you look at this story, the teachers of the law are offended by Jesus' claim to be able to forgive sins. I don't know that that claim is as offensive today, although I will comment on it in a minute. But I think today, more people are offended not by Jesus' claim to forgive sins, but by Jesus' insinuation that we have sins. What do you mean, Jesus, you can forgive sins? I don't have sin. We don't have sin. We don't like the word sin in our culture. We don't like any word that attaches moral responsibility or guilt. We don't like being told that we are at fault. 
That is not a popular narrative in our culture, in our times. We're okay with being imperfect as long as we're victims of the imperfection, not causes of it. Right? We're okay. We're okay with words like broken, struggling, imperfect, only human, sometimes even the words like dysfunctional. But we don't like words like wrong, disobedient, sinner, words that imply moral responsibility. We like it, and sometimes we even expect and demand that Jesus deal with our problems, deal with our circumstances, heal our sicknesses, solve our problems, but we want to leave our heart out of it. Don't tell me that I'm wrong. Don't tell me that I have sin. Solve my problems, but leave me out of it. And to be fair, the Bible does use other images to describe our condition. It talks about us as being lost. It talks about us as being enslaved, as being blind, and even being dead. But it also clearly teaches that sin is willful disobedience. It is rebellion. It is selfishness. And as such, it requires repentance. We are not just broken, we are guilty. And we need to accept that diagnosis. Um, if you go back, think back to my opening story. Now, I don't know if this is still the case or not in, in today's youth culture. Um, I don't know. You can ask your teen, teens. But when I was growing up in, in the school and in the culture in which I lived, scabies had a stigma. Like, scabies, that was one of the things that you said when you wanted to insult someone. Like, ew, I don't want to date Brad. He has scabies. Right? Nobody ever said that to me. Out loud. Right? But, <laughs> but it was one of those things. If, if you wanted to diss someone, that's, that's one of the ways you could do it. You could just say, well, they've got scabies. Right? So there was this real stigma about scabies. Right? But what would have happened had I gone to this doctor and he says to me, Brad, you have scabies. And I'd say, uh-uh. Uh-uh, no, 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 wait. I don't, no, 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 I don't have scabies. No, you're wrong. Pick a different disease. Right? <laughs> what would have happened? Well, I would have never been helped because the root cause would have never been addressed. And so... Unless we are willing to accept Jesus' diagnosis, we cannot accept his cure. Jesus says, I have come to forgive your sins. We need to say, okay, Jesus, here are my sins. Forgive them. And then secondly, we must realize that Jesus really does have the authority and the desire to forgive sins. Right? That he really does have that authority. Um, and again, this is a narrative... We don't always like in our particular culture. Uh, there is another counter-narrative in our culture that kind of says, you know what, imperfection, okay, we're all imperfect, but there's nothing you can do about it. It's sort of this failure. We're, we're of course I'm imperfect. Of course I'm imperfect. Of course you're imperfect. Of course we're all imperfect. We're all flawed. I mean, we are the flawed products of a flawed process of trial and error evolution, and we're just flawed. We're just flawed. We're imperfect. And there's nothing we can do about it, so we just need to get over it and stop judging one another and just accept the fact that we're all flawed. Right? And that, again, is a very, very popular narrative in our time. But Jesus has a better answer. He says, you know, I can fix that. I can fix that flaw. I can heal that damage. I can forgive that sin. Sometimes I'm not sure 
even as Christians, that we actually believe this. Or that I actually believe it. I mean, we are sometimes so slow to bring our sins to God for forgiveness, aren't we? We are so slow. So, I mean, it's not like he doesn't already know. But I don't know what we think. Do we think that God, Jesus, can't do anything about them? That he can't really forgive? That he can't really wipe the record clean? Or do we think that he doesn't really want to do that? I mean, he'll do it because he kind of has to, right? But, you know, he's, he's not really happy about it. So God kind of, you know, stands back and folds his arms and goes, okay. All right. I'll forgive you. Kind of have to because Jesus, you know, death. Like, kind of, uh, okay, I'll forgive you. But I'm watching you. <laughs> you do it again, and I'll probably forgive you. But I'm watching you, <laughs> Right? Is that the God that we serve, right? Is that Jesus? But sometimes we have this, this kind of thing. We see God as a God who gives grace reluctantly. And some of us and some of you carry heavy burdens of guilt like chains, past regrets, past mistakes, past offenses. And whenever something bad happens, that guilt is triggered and your first go-to is God is mad at me again. And you carry heavy guilt over that. And we will try to deal with this guilt. We'll dodge, we'll excuse, we'll justify, we'll deny, we'll minimize, we'll pass blame. We'll do everything but repent. Everything but just come to God and say, God, here it is. Here's my sin. I need your forgiveness. I did it again. I need your grace. And this is not about taking sin lightly or taking sin um, or taking holiness lightly, but it is in recognizing that Jesus wants to forgive. He delights to forgive. In repentance is our freedom and our healing. And when we come to God, he wants to make us whole. See, Jesus wants you to know that he really does have the will and the power and the authority to forgive sins. He wants you to know that he is your victory over sin and everything that sin distorts and destroys. Everything. And so in order that you may know that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins, almost 2,000 years ago, he turns to this man lying on a mat, vulnerable and broken and helpless, and he says to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Because you are free from your sin and all the damage that sin has caused. You don't need to live in guilt or shame or brokenness anymore because I have the authority to set you free. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for your grace and your love. And, and, and we are so thankful that it's not just grace and love in, in, in the sense that you love us and that you, you want to be uh, gracious to us, but you actually have the power and authority to deal with our brokenness. You actually have the authority to forgive our sins. You actually have the power to conquer sin and death. You actually have the power to heal us and make us whole. And so it's not just a sentiment of niceness you have towards us. It is the power to set us free. And we are so grateful for that. God, would you look into our hearts and if there are areas in our lives even today that we are, we are holding back because either we don't want to admit we're, we're sinners, we don't want to admit that we've sinned, or we don't want to believe that your grace is enough. 
that you would just speak to us about those things. That we would come before you and we would know the freedom that comes from forgiveness. And Father, in your grace, if with that forgiveness of our sins, you also choose to heal us of a brokenness or a sickness or a dysfunction or a, uh, an addiction, then so be it, Lord, to you be the glory. If you choose to give us grace instead to walk in that brokenness, dependent on you day, for day, day by day, then glory to God for that. We thank you for that. But thank you that you are the answer to the problem of our brokenness. You are the answer because you are the one who can forgive our sins and set us free. So Holy Spirit, drive that truth deep in our hearts that we would learn to walk in the freedom of the grace that you give. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.